3: Have you ever wondered what it means to have a maternal instinct? Is there something biological going on, or is it a socially constructed idea? In her new book, Mom Genes, author Abigail Tucker explores what happens, at the cellular level, in people's brains and bodies when they become a mother. Turns out, what happens is a whole lot. Abigail Tucker answers my questions, and yours, coming up after the news. Hello, and welcome to the 10 a.m. Hour of Forum. My name is Priya David Clemens, and I am filling in for the inimitable Mina Kim, who will return tomorrow. Today, we're talking about motherhood. Any parent can affirm that life after babies is a completely new experience. But as journalist Abigail Tucker discovered in researching her latest book, most parents don't know the science behind these changes. People who previously steered clear of holding a baby can suddenly find themselves unable to let go of their own. Some can't seem to stop sniffing their baby's heads. New mothers say things like, I grew a new heart or a piece of my heart is now outside my body when referring to their kids. These feelings have a scientific basis, Tucker says. Here to explain the phenomena known as mom brain or maternal instincts is Abigail Tucker, author of Mom Genes, Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. Hello, Abigail. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Priya. So let's start with how this all started for you. Uh, you are a mother yourself, a mother of four, but you'd already had three kids when you started looking into this.
2: Exactly, I um it, it I guess I must be a slow learner. It took me three kids to kind of start digging into this uh, scientific field that shows that motherhood isn't just kind of a job description or a task that you take on or even just a stage of life that has a label. It's actually more like a stage of development, kind of akin to adolescence. and um, I began to uh, dig into research that shows how. Uh, People transform when they become moms. And I was just kind of stunned by all that I did not know.
3: And do only mothers go through these particular changes? Are there other times in our lives in which after adolescence in which our brains change this much?
2: Um, I think that the, the understanding is that not not really. Um, this is a profound uh, moment of uh, metamorphosis um, in, uh, in moms. There's these fascinating studies where they're able to take um, brain scans of women who um, intend to have children but haven't become pregnant yet, and they follow these women and take Images of their brains after they have babies, and their brains actually change in in, in size and shape, and mm-hmm. in ways that are kind of unknown in in adult experience. Um, there's research too that shows that you know um, people who are not biological mothers can change as well. But this uh, chemically kick-started uh, phase of development is kind of what the most research is on at the moment. And it's a really kind of staggering change.
3: So let's dig into it. What is a change that just made your jaw drop when you were doing your research that you found out about moms and brains? Well,
2: I guess... The, um, you know, one of the latest and most interesting studies um, is this, uh, this one that is tracking women over time through pregnancy and I was stunned. I guess I thought that there might be a, a growth in in various areas of of your brain, but actually uh, these scientists have recorded a a loss of volume in certain areas related to social uh, cues and responding to social cues um, and also in the hippocampus and the idea is that uh, these changes are not necessarily an atrophy. The shrinkage may actually be um, an en- an efficiency efficiency enhancing shrinkage, and we may be getting better at certain skills. And you know, the idea is that we're in. engaging in this very intimate tango with another human being. Um, So those are those human studies are really interesting. The studies in rats are... um...
3: Before we go to the rats, let me just stop for a second. It's like, you're telling me that my brain is actually shrinking if I get pregnant. (laughs) And uh, perhaps as I have a child and raise a child as well. Is Is this where this mom brain comes in that concept? so i th- I've definitely heard that
2: that idea floated, and I have to point out though before anybody starts getting too depressed <laughs> about their uh, their shrinking little marble of a mom brain rolling around in there these many of these very sophisticated studies are done by scientists who are you know young women, mothers, pregnant women, and nobody has you know become stupid um, or uh, lost their capacities. but the idea is that there's sort of a shift in attention and reward and what people find to be um, interesting and compelling. There's uh, the maternal instinct, I guess, as I've come to understand it, isn't about any one given behavior, or any part of a kind of shared repertoire among mothers, it's it's a, it's a dis- change in desire or motive. And so what you find to be interesting in the world has shifted slightly. And um, there's some evidence of this idea of a mommy brain that um, wi- while um, biological mothers may become less skilled at certain things, I think that the best evidence is that they're not as good at verbal recall. Um, They may become more skilled at other things like uh, paying close attention to uh, the faces of strangers and more aware of things like changes in color, kind of uh, interesting cues like that. I think the best way to see it is that there's not really a loss or gain, though. There's just there's a change and um, it's a complicated change.
3: And it's one which enhances sort of the nurturing of progeny and of the continuation of the human species. You were about to mention some studies that were done on rat moms.
2: Right. So, you know, humans are so complicated that one of the best tools that we have in in studying maternal behavior and maternal behavior is this very ancient uh, part or or maternal motivation, I should say, is this very ancient part of um, what drives us. And it's something that we share with a lot of other kinds of mammal moms, including lab rodents. And they're able to do these interesting studies with rodents to watch this dawning of maternal care. And with rats, they're not like people where, you know, if you haven't had kids, you, you might be kind of interested in kids or curious about them rats who haven't had, uh, babies yet, the females really are quite averse to, <laughs> to, uh, rat pumps and will go to great lengths to avoid them and will flee for them. If they see them, hmm. sometimes they may even attack the babies, but once they become, um, Mothers, there's this uh, change that we see, and initially, what what these rat mothers, what these female rats like, is uh, food, especially really sweet kinds of food like Charleston chew or circus peanuts. Um, once they become mothers, they'll start choosing these uh, baby pups over food. And there's this one classic experiment where they let the rat mothers press a bar to get as many babies as they wanted, basically. And over the course of a four-hour experiment, this one rat mother pressed the bar like 650 times, <laughs> causing a, an avalanche of rat babies. And she did not stop this behavior. The um, the scientist had to kind of make the executive decision to pull the plug on the experiment and quit because she wasn't going to stop. And so that is kind of the essence of this motive that all of a sudden something that you had not no interest in, in, no interest in before and were maybe even a little bit horrified by has become highly rewarding to you. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, these, uh, the work in rodents can kind of crystallize this.
3: And then at the same time, obviously, not everything transfers over. So talk to us about that, looking at these animal studies and then looking at how it plays out in humans, because, um, you know, I know plenty of moms who after a baby say, that's it. I don't want anymore. They're not going to push that button again.
2: (laughs) Exactly. It's always important to note that human moms are not just like big, uh, enormous h- rats with nicer hair. We're very different. We have more complicated brains. We have all kinds of um, influences that are layered on top of this this drive. And yes, there's, uh, you know, people don't have 650 babies and that's probably a good thing. But I do think that there is a kind of infinity to the love that you feel for your one baby, uh, which maybe is a good corollary for that constant demand for more, more, more. Um, so I think that, and you know, what became just as interesting to me as how much we share with these very kind of simple. Uh, mammals uh rats and every you know from rats up to uh, monkeys is how different humans are too and we have we are shaped human mothers are shaped by so many things from our stress levels to our you know our history with our own mothers to Um, you know, our relationships with our cell phones. And these variables are just as interesting. What makes us unique is just as interesting as the universal attributes that mammalian mothers share.
3: So having done this research, how do you define maternal instincts? And how much of it really falls down on the side of biology versus the side of socially learned behavior?
2: Um, so that's a really, uh, good question. One clue that, you know, there's a lot of social learning involved is that when scientists look, they canvass the world, trying to find, uh, common features of human maternal behavior. There's really not that many of them. We vary in so many different ways from the amount of eye contact that we make with our babies to the amount of motherese that we speak. That's the science term for hmm. baby talk, basically to how we carry our babies, to the degree of involvement of the father, there's all kinds of different ways to do stuff and no really wrong way to do it. Um, That's because maternal um, the maternal instinct is not a like uploaded encyclopedia of baby information that every human mom gets. Sadly, that would be awesome. I wish. Yeah. yeah, It's this uh, instead it's like a, a, a motive or, or a drive um, that is what making it's what makes you want to learn these things. So there's two things that have, that struck me in looking for common patterns among human mothers all over the world, um, that are not socially learned maternal behaviors. Uh, and one of them is this ten- fascinating tendency that, uh, moms have to hold babies on the left side, which is something that I had never really hmm. known why I did it. Um, and I kind of assumed it had to do with being left-handed or right-handed, but apparently it's independent of hand dominance.
3: Um, And then the other thing that we're going to have to go to the break, but I hold it there because that is a perfect tease for having the audience stick around with us. (laughs) We're going to come back with the other fascinating finding. We're talking with science journalist and mom of four, Abigail Tucker, about her new book, Mom Genes Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. What about you? Have you noticed changes in the way your brain works since becoming a parent, like mom brain or maternal instincts? What have been some of the experiences as a parent that have surprised you? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya david Clemens, filling in for Mina Kim. We're talking with science journalist and mom of four, Abigail Tucker, about her new book, Mom Genes, Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. And Abigail, just before we went to break, I had to cut you off. You have a two-part answer um, to some of these surprising findings. Tell us where you were, Where could you just catch us back up and move us forward?
2: Yeah, we were talking about um, what uh, sorts of mothering behaviors we see universally and we are talking about how there's not actually as many as you might think there's not some sort of hidden code for how to be a mom Um, people do things really differently all over the world which is different than other animals like certain animals like a a rabbit that right before they have a baby they have to do really specific stuff like tear out all of their chest hair and make a nest and if you don't let them do this they're going to be a bad mom Mm. (laughs) luckily luckily human moms aren't like this and the two things that that I think stuck out to me in the literature as being universals are this idea of this t- interesting tendency that moms have to hold babies on the left, um, which is not something I thought of. Uh, and if I had, I sort of assumed that it was a left-handed right-handed thing, but it turns out that this is a universal tendency. It seems like among mammal moms and scientists have recently studied walruses and flying foxes and found that they too like to keep their babies on the left side. And this has to do with this sort of lopsided sided layout of the mammalian brain and how we like to um, look at our babies and, perceive their emotions and process them and how they like to look at the left side of our face, which is apparently more expressive. So that's Hmm. one thing. The other thing that I thought was a neat uh, common thread among human moms is uh, the role of the maternal grandmother. I did not realize that these um, grandmas are such important figures uh, the world over, but they really are. And um, there's interesting studies that show that, you know, Having your mom around can even... Have effects on your mental and physical health, and your you know de- the health of your delivery. And back in uh, pre-industrial times, there's work showing that the presence of a maternal grandmother can uh, boost child survival rates too. And some and some scientists have argued that they're even more helpful than than biological fathers are, which I know is not necessarily the way that some of us have have found things, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting finding nonetheless so right there's all this variability in um maternal behavior and that's because what unites us with each other and also with rat moms and lion moms is that we have this this motive but there's a lot of different ways to solve the problem of having a child what what unites us is this this desire to to do our best basically
3: We are talking on forum this morning with science journalist Abigail Tucker about her new book, Mom Genes. If you're interested in joining the conversation, please give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. All of us have either had a mother <laughs> or known one, and so we're looking forward to hearing from you. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We have a caller now, Kashika, and she's joining us. Kashika is a new mom. She's joining us from Oakland. Uh, you're on the line now.
4: Hi, Kashika. Hi. 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 Thank you for, for taking my question. Um, I'm just wondering about mom brain and um, af- after some time, how long does it take to get the ability to recall words? Um, that's something that I seem to still be having trouble with, even with a 20 month old. And I find myself often searching for words that I know that I know and didn't have any trouble recalling before. Mm-hmm. But now here I am having trouble bringing it back. So how long does it take to get it back? Please tell me. <laughs>
3: Such a good question. Kashika, my own kids are nine and 10 years old, and I still sometimes struggle. And I'm in this business. So it's not always that helpful <laughs> to not be able to recall a word. Habigail, any advice here? When does it end? Yes, Kashika, I too feel your pain.
2: This was definitely not a good study to encounter while I was in the middle of writing a book, you know? Um, So these brain changes, uh, they are thought to be... Permanent is kind of a scary word, but these studies that we've been talking about where they'll image the brain before and after um, pregnancy, they know now that these changes last for at least two years. And uh, that's not because they go back to that. You bounce back necessarily to how you were after two years. I think two years is sort of when the study ended. So there's a a change that is enduring. And there's also interesting research that... um, the changes of childbirth can be, the mental changes of childbirth can be uh, cumulative. So moms who have three kids might score slightly worse on these verbal recall tasks than moms who have one kid, but it's not all bad stuff. Like in the the rat studies, for instance, um, uh, the mothers of uh, three, uh, or not mothers of three, multi-time rat mothers outperform uh, first-time mothers and uh, females who haven't had uh, pups yet in stuff like um, solving mazes and finding food and uh, even hunting crickets in one study. So we do have some, uh, some superpowers to boast of, but I think you know, it's important to think that this, this motherhood stuff is not just something that we're embarking on and we can just kind of go back to normal necessarily. We, we are changed in a fundamental way, but I still think that, you know, we can continue to pursue whatever we were wanting to pursue before. It's just that we have, um, you know, developed, I think is the best way to say it.
3: Abigail, do you have any concerns? Oh, Kashika, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Um And I just want to ask Abigail if she has any concerns about this research coming out and the the work that you've done, Abigail, um, to shed light on these changes that happen to mom brains in terms of the progress that women have made in the workplace, and that any of these findings will then sort of wash back against people who choose to have children um, and limit their prospects or make people think of them in a way that is less than positive?
2: So I tend to think of it as I, I totally understand that perspective. I tend to think of it as being the opposite, though, that by ignoring the importance of this period of plasticity and not acknowledging the brain as an important organ in childbirth, although the brain may not be the first organ we think of when it comes to childbirth, mm. but, um, we are sort of setting, uh, moms up for, for failure. And I think there's things that we can do as a society to kind of safeguard this period of plasticity and help women transition into motherhood and become the, you know, the same, the people that they, that they always wanted to be, um, But, you know, there's concerning things like rates of postpartum depression are skyrocketing. Um, Women in all kinds of circumstances are, you know, they find themselves bewildered because they they have been sort of going on with their career, especially because so many of us are having kids later. You know, we've been doing our 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 own thing for, you know, 30, 40 years. And then all of a sudden we have this new phase of development. And I think ignoring that phase is um, really counterproductive. And if you kind of know going into it, just like you have a birth plan for everything else and you um, have thought through so many aspects of the change you're about to embark on, if you give yourself room and say, okay, I'm going to change, then I think that's a really healthy way to, to proceed. And for instance, like I've talked to, like I said, you know, these women who are r- doing these experiments are not quitting their career or, you mm-hmm. know, becoming stepford wives or handmaids or anything like that, but they do have interesting tips for how you might want to, um, apply this research to your own life. Like I talked to one really neat researcher who was pregnant d- while we were, uh, working together. And she started her maternity leave a month before she gave birth. And part of the reason that she did that was because she was having her first child. She knew that this was sort of a plastic period. She knew that women respond to stress during this time. And she just wanted to, you know, really have kind of an ironclad plan for herself, not just the baby, not just buying a new crib or whatever. She wanted to make sure that she was able to be present and to transform and then to go back to her to her work and kind of be her best self by respecting this period rather than ignoring it.
3: Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to the phones now. We've got Maureen from Arroyo Grande. Maureen, thanks for calling in. Uh, do you have a comment on Hi, um, good morning. Good morning. Yeah,
4: um, I really connected with something that you said. It was like a light bulb moment for me. I um, was managing a restaurant um, several years ago and had already had two um, children of my own. And um, one of our patrons who was sitting um, just kind of with his family was suddenly attacked by um, some people who knew him from some outside thing. Um, and before I knew it, Um, They just had one young child. I was climbing over the backs of booths and tables in the middle of a a full-on bar brawl Mm. to pull this child out of this dangerous situation. And, um, you know, when I brought him back to safety, my employees were like, I didn't even know there was a child in the restaurant.
3: Mm.
4: Um, And I had just sort of had this, like, zero in interest on a young child. And I was fully aware of his presence, and that he was in a bad situation and, and didn't even think about it, um, which is always kind of, you know, I, I always wondered, why did that happen? But um, some of what you were saying, um, really connected with that. So I was just wondering if there has been any um, studies on whether moms are more likely to react uh, to intervene in dangerous situations with strangers.
3: Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that story, Maureen. Abigail? So there is
2: a lot of really fascinating in, uh, research on what's called uh, maternal aggression or uh, lactational aggression, sometimes called. And moms are have this this reputation for being, um, you know, very defensive and, and standing up for things. And I think that sort of the science backs that up. There's um There are studies that show that uh, moms, especially women who are nursing, give off uh, less stress hormones when they are subjected to tasks like sticking their, um, their hand in a bucket of ice water in the lab or looking at scary pictures. Um, there is a natural dampening of the stress system, which is one of these other kind of interesting side effects of becoming a mom, especially when you are are nursing. But I think in humans, I feel like the the this this stuff continues on after the nursing period ends. I'm I'm not totally sure about that, but. It's this combination of a dampened stress response, which may be um, an an evolved to help mothers breastfeed for extended periods and stay still and quiet with their their, with their babies, but also to kind of face threats. And it's coupled with this environmental hyper awareness that we were talking about a little bit um, ago, where moms are attuned to things like Strangers and and uh, stuff going on in their environment, and so if you put those two things together—the dampened stress response and environmental uh, hyper awareness—then you get these trademark maternal aggressive aggressive mm-hmm. behaviors, and you can study them um, in the lab. Scientists do neat stuff like. Um, they'll expose uh, like a squirrel mom to the sound of a rattlesnake and see how she reacts. And they react more than um, animals who are not um, mothers and uh, males too. And it's just kind of like a key part of the of the repertoire that we see in humans and in um, other types of, of animals. I had a whole uh, file on this stuff, actually. I think my favorite maternal aggression moment was the, the walrus mom who recently attacked a Russian uh, naval vessel because she thought that it was attack uh, getting too close to her, mm-hmm. to her cubs. Of course, on, on closer inspection, I realized that this was more like a, a Russian naval dinghy. It wasn't actually <laughs> a battleship, but I still thought it was cool.
3: Yeah. You know, and I think it's interesting Maureen's pointing out this maternal instinct, as we've been discussing, um, for her really kicked in even for another's child, that it wasn't even her own. Maureen, thanks for your call. Uh, we've got some comments coming in now. And a listener has tweeted, phenomenal research. Just ordered the book, especially the biopsychosocial context. Quote, changes in a mom's brains are not a loss or a gain, but a change. That's exactly it, the delta. How that triangle varies is the developing story, the chemically kick-started one. And Catherine asks, do the changes seen upon becoming a mother also happen with adoptive parents? You mentioned this briefly earlier, but I would love to have you delve into that a little bit more, Abigail.
2: Yeah, so... um there is uh, interesting work showing that adoptive mothers have, um, when when they are exposed to their own children, they have a response that is very similar to what a biological mom uh, would experience, and um, it that response seems to increase with the amount of time that the that the mom has had her her baby for basically the amount of time that the two have been together as as a dyad, as they would say in the literature. And in these lab experiments with rats, um, you know, there's a couple different ways that you can make a mom. This is one of these things that just shocked me when I was doing um, the research. You can make a mom by injecting a rat with a certain special cocktail of hormones that mimic the um, pregnancy, birth and lactation hormonal uh, setup. Or you can take a rat who's not had children or children, pups, and put her in a cage with pups and make sure that she doesn't... um, hurt the pups and is just kind of exposed to them. And after about, this wouldn't happen in nature, but scientists know that after about a week of being with these pups, the um, virgin rat starts to change and she starts to develop um, maternal behavior. She starts to do stuff like retrieving the pups when they cry instead of running away from them. And her brain starts to change, too. She starts mm-hmm. growing receptors in, in certain areas of her brain that would mimic a, a biological mom. And so the idea is kind of that there is a maternal seed that is buried inside of the brain of every mammal, including you know people who haven't had biological children, including males, um, dads, but also guys who haven't had kids yet. And that this can sort of grow with the right exposure to um, to, to pups, or kids, in our case. In this um, in this lab that I visited, it was actually they're trying to tease apart what exactly is it that about this experience that's causing these virgin rats to change, and they were even doing something where they basically were showing the the virgin rats these kind of like parenting videos, actual like virtual reality uh, uh, to see what cues they actually needed. Did they need to smell the pups? Did they need to see the pups? They they tried separating them with a barrier that was sometimes clear and sometimes not clear to see, to isolate what it was that was causing this learning. But I thought it was fascinating. Um, in, in the wild, in, in nature, this kind of adoption stuff doesn't usually happen when we read in the news about like animals that are adopting each other in in the Kalahari desert or whatever. It's usually a, an animal that's already a mother who has been primed biologically to mother and is taking on um, another animal um, because she's already kind of been Uh, incentivized to do that chemically. In humans though, we frequently make the decision to care for each other's children. And we metamorphosize to support that love and that Mm. decision.
3: Mm Georgian writes in, uh, she says, I am both a nurse practitioner and a lactation consultant. I tell brand new mothers that although everyone is focused on the physical birth of their baby, it is also the birth of themselves as a mother. It is very important for them to recognize and honor that. I also say relax and embrace being a beginner. Your baby is very forgiving around beginners. We are talking with science journalist and mom of four, Abigail Tucker, about her new book, Mom Genes, Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instincts. She's also the author of The Lion in the Living Room, How House Cats Tamed Us and Took Over the World. What about you? What are some preconceived notions about parenting that turned out to be true or false for you? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. or at KQED Forum or email your questions to us at forum at kqed.org. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We are talking with science journalist and author Abigail Tucker about her new book Mom Genes Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. You're listening to Forum. My name is Priya David Clemens in Fermina Kim today. We're going to go to the phones now. We have Dorisa calling from Berkeley. Dorisa, thanks for calling in. Hi, thanks for
4: taking my call. Um, I am a working mom. I have two small children. I have a five-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And I want to say I, wanna, I think I've been more efficient at work and um, using more critical thinking skills and um, just multitasking since I've been a mom. So I want to kind of respond to the comment you made, like how do you feel about the working force and the mom? And I'm in management, and I really actually like hiring mothers hmm. because I feel that they are... Um, just, I don't know, it's easier to manage them, first of all. And then also, um, they're more efficient. They're more, they have critical thinking skills. They know what to focus on and not focus on and and get the work done. And with the pandemic, that has even been more clear of the working moms that I work with. That's all.
3: That's all. I to comment, Dorisa, Yeah, thank you for calling in. We appreciate that. And you know, on this same topic, Caroline has written in. As someone who does not have a child, I often feel that I didn't go through a critical stage of development, which for me has a feeling of not completely having ever grown up. I see it in contrast to my friends who have had kids. A sort of coping mechanism or ability to deal with multiple inputs and stressors, better decision-making powers, especially for others or groups. Abigail, in your book, you do mention some research which talks about how um, mothers in particular spend less time making decisions when it comes to online shopping.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, you know, this is this is reminding me these these calls talking about how the spillover effects of um, being a mom on other aspects of your life, which I think is fascinating. There's even been some work about how moms actually dream a little bit differently than other people, and I think that you know your callers are so so right to say that this can be an asset for um, for companies and. Um, I uh, Goldman Sachs I read is uh, making all these efforts to retain uh, new mother employees by like airlifting their breast milk around mm-hmm. and. Um, even MI6, the British spy agency, it tries to recruit moms sometimes because they, you know, they have this emotional intelligence, which is really interesting. That said, you know, I don't think that people who haven't had kids should feel like they're stunted in any way. It's just, you know, it's it's more of a difference. I, I, I'm I'm not. I think that you know, there's probably arguments that there's there's pros and cons to, to both of these ways of being.
3: Yeah, and Charles asks, isn't mom brain uh, potentially used a bit misogynistically at times? How about results in same-gender parenting context? And I also want to go to Alex, who's a dad out there, asking about um, being a single dad and some of those uh, studies in response to parenting from the uh, dad perspective. Alex, you're on the line. You're from San Jose.
4: Hi yes thank you so yeah my it's a great discussion so my question is for Abigail is uh great studies that you've done have any studies in particular been done for um single dads and their ability to make these uh adaptations and, and responses um when they have to take full responsibility of their children and I, and I say this because I'm a single dad I've been raising my da- my um Son since he was two years old, and i I feel that um I'm just as nurturing as any mom, and I feel that dads in general, single dads in general, have kind of been given short shrift by society. I still get uh, you know as as great as my son is, some some moms that I'm around still can't believe that I raised him by myself, and they said there has to be some you know, mom must have been involved. And so I, I kind of that's really the source of my question.
3: Mm, thanks so much for the call, Alex. Uh, Abigail, thoughts on uh, the role of dads and support systems.
2: Yeah, there have been um, some interesting studies, um, especially on um, same-sex couples where there's two dads raising a baby and um, there isn't a mom there. And these studies have shown that in this context where the dad is having this primary, very, very intimate relationship with the baby, that his brain may respond to infant stimuli in a manner that's much like the brain of a of a of a mother, which I think is fascinating. Um, single dads are a really interesting phenomenon, and I will say that for once, this is this is an area where the most studies have been done on mothers and the the dad work is kind of catching up but i think people are more and more interested in these questions there was a study and i think it was of canadian single dads that Seemed to show that these dads had um sometimes suffered from a lot of health problems more than single moms and it seems like there was a lot of stress involved with this um with this uh work and i'm not sure you know why that was if it's just like your caller was saying that there's social expectations that you know dad should be this way and mom should be that way and that might be kind of stressful to have to live out but I do think that, you know, we do all have this buried seed inside of us. And if you are going to be basically the primary caregiver to a child, whether you're the dad or somebody who's not biologically related to that child, you can have this dawning or this, this epiphany or this unmasking, as one scientist said, the unmasking of a latent identity that's inside of you and become maternal but we, we call it paternal. It's a very similar thing.
3: Hmm. Alex thank you for your call. Tricia has written in saying I'm a mother of two a boy 17 and a girl 14. I was wondering if there are any patterns showing different mom behaviors toward firstborn versus later kids. I've noticed that I'm much more forgiving and generous toward my first or are there gender differences. Why do I find myself being harder on my daughter than my son. Thank you Tricia.
2: This is one of my 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 fascinations that <laughs> Tricia has stumbled on here. Um, I have three girls and one boy, and um, I was fascinated to learn in the literature that there are differences from for moms between having um, boys and girls, and these are things that had never occurred to me, never been mentioned to me. There's a little bit of um, evidence that these boys and girls may move slightly differently in in the womb um, and that mothers of boys are um, more at risk for a lot of different kinds of health problems, stuff from preeclampsia and uh, preterm birth to postpartum depression, which may, you know, I don't think that we know exactly why that is. It may be because um, we have, you know, these different relationships with um, immunologically, like like their moms may have more inflammation if they have boys. And then these differences continue. There was one study of Massachusetts mothers that showed that we make slightly different breast milk for boys versus girls. And, Mm. you know, it goes on into the future, you know, stuff like orthodonture spending and stuff like that. There's also fascinating literature that suggests that Women under a ton of stress are less likely to ha- to deliver boys, which I thought was fascinating. There are these um, fetal culls, which is sort of a terrible term, but um, after events like um, 9-11, uh, nine months after, give or take, there was a dip in the expected number of baby boys born. And um, so it's also kind of like the, it's not like if you're under stress, you're gonna have a boy or a girl, but there's a slight nudge in one direction or another, which I just kind of thought was completely fascinating. Now the first born versus second born thing, I, I agree, there are differences. Part of it is a normal learning curve. Um, and. I guess, you know, what struck me is that humans are actually really good first-time moms compared to a lot of Mm -hmm. other animals. In primates, firstborns are quite likely to die. And in sheep um, and animals like that, you know, mothers, first-time mothers are much more prone to reject their lambs and stuff like that. And that's kind of really good evidence that there is a maternal, a a brain change that goes on. Basically, a second-time mom, as one scientist told me, already has her ticket punched. She's a mom having another baby. Whereas a first-time mom, is a woman becoming a mom. So it's a slightly different rodeo.
3: Yeah. And we've obviously seen that the age of uh, becoming a mother for the first time has often gotten older and in, in industrialized countries, um, especially Lorraine tweets in, I wonder how this impacts young mothers. I had my daughter when I was 16. So how does the research on brain plasticity and biological changes in particular um, affect this sort of range of ages of motherhood?
2: So the there there is evidence, and of course, this is should be taken with a grain of salt. And I went to, um, in fact, the lab of a very wonderful researcher um, in North Carolina who had her first baby as, as a teenager. She herself was a teen mom. Um, but there's there's research that shows that you know being a very young mom can be hard, and um, that may be because. Your brain is still growing and changing in areas related to executive functioning and um, things like that. And that you know now we know that the brain changes of adolescence can last until your early or mid twenties. And that you know maybe somebody who is undergoing a whole nother set of changes may be sort of it may be challenging to have um, the maternal transformation layered on top of that there's other explanations for 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 why that might be there's this thing which I laugh at because I just had my um, a fourth baby at age 39 so on the the older side for being a mom Your it's the geriatric
3: that, pregnancy Exactly, yes
2: there's this thing called the term in biology called the terminal investment hypothesis. And it's this idea that older mothers are more prone to invest heavily in their later offspring because you have fewer chances in life to have Hmm. more kids. And there's some research that I think in orcas that shows that like the last uh, baby born to um, an orca mother um, is more likely to survive possibly because there's this pouring of research resources into, you know, your your last chance here. So that's another, it just, for some reason, the, the terminal investment hypothesis just makes me chuckle a little bit. I think there may be some truth to it, but it's just, uh, it's, it's funny to think of yourself mm. as terminal.
5: <laughs>
3: funny or something, right? We're yeah, having exactly. A, we're having a fascinating conversation with science journalist and mom of four, Abigail Tucker, about her new book, Mom Genes, Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. This is Forum, and my name is Priya David Clemens. I'm in for Mina Kim today. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. We are going to continue now with a call from Michelle, who's calling in from Marin. Michelle, you're on the line.
4: Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my call. And it's a fascinating, um, definitely a fascinating topic for everyone raising kids and those that haven't yet. But my question went back to about holding babies on the left. I was wondering in mammals, since I think that's what was discussed. Would that have anything to do with the heartbeat and being the heart for at least for humans being on the left side?
3: Mm, interesting idea, Michelle. Thanks. And Sharon actually tweeted in with a similar comment. Couldn't holding the baby on the left side of the body be because that's where the heartbeat is, Abigail?
2: You know that is um, a theory that has been floated, and I think that um, that was one of the first explanations for why this might be. And I, I personally think that there's there is a lot of truth to that that. Babies do um, get used to the the sound of your insides and they find it comforting. Um, I was told as a new mother that if you wanted to quiet a, an, an angry baby, one of the best things you can do is run a vacuum because it, it mimics the the noise of basically your interior environment and Then I thought, "Oh, do I really sound like a vacuum on my on my insides?" Hmm. I think this idea of um, the emotional processing of the baby 's face is another layer um, on top of this idea of the the heartbeat. And I think that the two things could be simultaneously true. Um, but it, I do think that scientists believe that there is some sort of reading of faces that goes on um in this uh this left-handed um situation and there's even some very preliminary research and i want to stress that because i certainly i have a friend who's a right cradler and she didn't like this (laughs) this research finding but there's there's some uh there's some labs that are looking at whether right-handed right-sided cradling can indicate you know if a mom is having um psychological difficulty or um, that it, if, Whether it means anything, basically, if you cradle on the right. So all of that is, you know, stay tuned. But um, it's, it's certainly something that, that uh, researchers are learning about more now as they are even looking further afield for more um, mammal uh, species to study, too.
3: Thanks for your call, Michelle. A listener has written in, if you choose not to reproduce, there are many other ways to express nurturing genes and many examples of women without children who've banked their hardwiring nurturing genes to do very good things for the world. There's one in the VP's office. And let's go to another caller now, Mary from Oakland. Mary, you're on the line. Hi, thank you for taking my
4: call. Um, I'm enjoying the show. I just had a really quick comment something that i noticed in myself after i had my i have one daughter and she's now about to be 22 um but ever since i had her my reflexes are really fast hmm. um and that like if something's starting to fall off the table oh my hand will whip out and grab it and um i figured you know sort of makes sense to like keep your baby from falling but um it's just that just something i noticed and other people have noticed like wow you caught that and i'm like yeah i've never really played sports where you're catching things so it, it seems like a you know right an automatic re, you know a
3: change a big on, a... So.
4: yeah so we... that's all thank you for joining the show i'm going to put the radio back on and listen now
3: Thanks so much, Mary. And along those lines, Nalani also has written in, I have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old son and notice that after giving birth, I'm way more emotional than I was before. I cry easily when watching movies, and I don't like to watch, hear uh, scary or sad stories. There are a lot of terrible things going on in the world right now, and it feels so heavy on me. I was not like this before. Do other mothers experience the same thing? Will this go away? And I think, Abigail, both of these moms who have called in are talking about, this feeling that that you're suddenly a new person, which you address in your book.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I um, I, I love this idea of the the super mom reflexes. Um, and we talk a little bit about there. There's kind of this this theory in the literature, I've seen it called Mother the Hunter, how um, moms may be, you know, in in rat studies, basically, they're better at um, catching and killing crickets and um, finding fruit loops in a maze and all this stuff. And so there is a sense where, you know, you get better at at certain physical tasks. Um, That may be, though, that there was another study done on uh, leopards, I think, and um, the amount of whether moms were better hunting, um, animals than, than others, other, uh, non, non-mother leopards. And I think the idea was that they did catch more prey, but, um, they were going after smaller things like, um, lizards as opposed to gazelles. And so I think, you know, the thing, whether or not our, our reflexes change, or our bodies change in other ways were, um, our motive is really what 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 changes, and um i I just love that idea though that she's become a super super reflexive. <laughs>
3: Mm-hmm. And in that way of protecting, um, you know, the, the future of the human species. So uh, thanks for all the callers and the comments. We appreciate it. And thank you most of all to my guest today, Abigail Tucker, a science journalist and mom of four. We've been talking with her about her new book, Mom Genes, Inside the New Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct. Abigail is also the author of The Lion in the Living Room, How House Cats Tamed Us and Took Over the World. Thank you, Abigail.
2: Thank you so much, Priya.
3: Stay tuned for another episode of Forum tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. with Mina Kim. I'm Priya David Clemens. Thanks for joining us here on Forum.
5: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.